You're listening to episode 195 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replobel. A few months ago, I had the chance to travel out to San Jose, California, and join Westgate Church for their men's event. I was the speaker at a weekend retreat up in the Redwoods, and one of the pastors that I got to know over that weekend was David Kim. David Kim is the discipleship pastor there, and I learned about a book that he had coming out that just released this week entitled Made to Belong. The book's about loneliness, about community, and about the intentional steps or practices we can all put in place to form deeper, more meaningful relationships. I found David to be a really insightful thinker, but also just a great writer, a really practical writer. And so I knew I had to have him on the podcast. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation so we can all learn a little bit more about what does it mean to build stronger, better communities, both in the church, but also as those who lead it. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening. I'm joined on the podcast today by David Kim. David Kim is the discipleship pastor at Westgate Church in Silicon Valley, California, and the author of the book he joins me today to talk about, Made to Belong, Five Practices of Cultivating Community in a Disconnected World. I got a chance to read it and really excited for the conversation. Uh, David holds degrees from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he previously published a children's book on dealing with change that was actually selected by Oprah's favorite things list. I know David, he cares deeply about the intersection of spiritual formation, theology, mental health, and uh, cultivating an authentic Christian community, as we'll talk about from the book. He lives with his wife and two daughters in San Jose, California. David, it's a real privilege and honor to have you on the podcast and good to get a chance to talk again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a blast when we hung out a few months back and man, like we had you over for that men's retreat and people still talk about it and really grateful for your work and the way in which you are inviting men to think deeply about their uh, discipleship to Jesus. And so we, uh, it's been so fun. Yeah, well, I feel the same way. It was a great experience. I was um, I was joking before we hit record that I'm in Ozark, Missouri, which means my internet quality is not probably as good as it is in San Jose, California. Uh, I got a chance to really explore San Jose with you to to sort of understand a little more about what ministry looks like for you there. I mean, obviously, it's been in the headlines over the last few weeks, whether it's layoffs in the tech industry or or the shooting that happened. Um, Tell me a little bit about what it's like to pastor in San Jose, a little bit about the church where you are and your work you're doing in that community around discipleship. Yeah, so we are kind of at the heart of Silicon Valley, and we have a multi-site. We have two physical locations and three campuses, and basically we are serving a ton of folks, uh, not all, but a ton of folks who work in, in the tech. And so you've got Google, Facebook, Apple, eBay, Twitter. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. And um, it's been an incredible season during COVID. I know that sounds weird, but our folks actually did pretty great uh, during that time. Everybody was going online. And so there was a sense in which um, they were needed. And so they were doing a ton of work. But what we've realized in the last uh, few months, particularly in the last few weeks, uh, is that they've, I think, overhired and overbloated themselves. They thought that that would be the reality for the next uh, 10, 20 years to come. And um, yeah, it's uh, taken a significant hit. And so um, now we are pastoring through significant layoffs. And uh, particularly, uh, the big one is Google for us. 
and um, just uh, praying and discipling and caring for our people as they are suddenly without jobs. Uh, but uh, our my prayer now and our prayer as a church is that God, that you would continue to uh, guide them and their families as they navigate um, this season of their journey and that, um, that God, that you've been the ultimate provider of our lives. And so no matter what, it comes our way that God, that we trust you and that, that you would take care of our family, our community here. Yeah, I feel the same way. And it's, um, it's easy, I think, for pastors, particularly when you're somewhere else, it always seems like, it always seems like the other place is better, right? It's imagining sort of like, oh, what it must mm. be like to live in Silicon Valley and pastor, you know, tech startup individuals. And yet the reality is like, it's, it's challenging in all sorts of ways. And one of the ways I think we talked about, uh, specifically when I was there too, was that sense of isolation that often creeps in. Uh, you recognize that that's a, a broader problem uh, that we're facing uh, sort of really all across our nation. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit. You open in the book, Made to Belong, which I got a chance to read in advance and really, really enjoyed. It's just it's really well written. It's really practical. Uh, and you. you share a little bit of your own story as well, too, that that you've had some of your own experiences of loneliness and isolation and, and how that contributed to this becoming a topic you wanted to do ex- explore at a book length uh, project. Yeah, so I was born in South Korea, and um, my father, he's a pastor, and he really wanted to study at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And so um, now you can tell why I went to that school. My father, uh, so we we immigrated uh, when I was 10, uh, all the way to New York City and then Boston. Um, and um, I was pretty excited. I I. I I heard a lot about what America is like and land of opportunity and all the excitement and definitely New York pizza and bagels for sure. <laughs> and um and in that journey um I found myself learning a new language, culture, friends, community, Christian community, neighborhood, city. I mean, everything changed right before my eyes and um I didn't know how to navigate this incredible confusion and pain of loneliness. And so uh, I didn't know at that time, but I was getting involved into, I think it was the mid nineties. And so internet was just surfacing. And so I got into just pornography, um, online gaming, gambling, I mean, all sorts of things to soothe in my pain of loneliness. I didn't know that's what I was doing. uh, But looking back, I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing. And so it's been a difficult season. And um, through it all, what I found myself as I got involved in pastoral ministry, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and moved out to uh, Silicon Valley about 12 years ago, and now a uh, discipleship and formation pastor at Westgate Church for the last seven years, what I've begun to realize is that it's not just my own journey. It's not just a immigrant journey, but all of us are facing loneliness as a whole. And COVID has revealed that reality that, wait a minute, uh, do I really have uh, a community that I can lean into? Did I really build deep and meaningful relationships? Or was my kind of Christian walk or was my friendships a little bit shallow and and i think it was a time for us to revisit and re-examine all the relationships that we've had and we have and so i began to do some research and found out that um 
that it's not just my past and my journey, but it's all of us. And so being in Silicon Valley, like these folks, we're so grateful. There's, I'm not bashing them. I mean, we have folks who are all working in the social media world, and we're really grateful for some of the ways in which um, they're bringing connection. Um, but if we're honest, uh, we have to really ask ourselves, is it the connection that we're all seeking and longing for? Are my 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 Facebook friends, are, do they really see me and know me? And do they know what I'm going through? Um, and the, the answer is maybe not. And so uh, that's been kind of where I began to do my work. I was thinking back, um, it feels like this topic of community comes up pretty regularly, right? Our need for it. I was thinking, um, I remember reading, uh, I think it was Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, came out in like right at 2000, early 2000. It was kind of describing how Americans were becoming more and more isolated. A lot of the social community that used to exist were beginning to sort of fall apart. Uh, I think many of us, as you're alluding to, kind of imagine, well, social media is going to be a way to find new relationships and connect with people. And um, certainly there's been some of some of that, but but it doesn't seem like it's cured our our sense of loneliness, our need to belong. Uh, in your research, do you see that evidence as well, too, that this is a problem that's actually seems like it's growing worse? Yeah. And uh, and again, I'm not trying to bash my folks. I love them dearly, but I can't I, they a lot of them can't handle even um 20 second conversation they can't make eye contact and they don't know how to ask good questions they're socially awkward and again nothing wrong with being an introvert that's not the conversation it's just that even just emotional intelligence um and the survey that uh there's an emotional institute uh, uh intelligence institute they've been doing the survey for decades now and they've seen a significant decline in that and and that's what I'm examining and, and experiencing here that our folks, like before being a Christian, like the, the invitation to just be human and just to interact, we're losing that touch. Uh, I believe through, uh, the mechanisms of just being comfortable in our social media and our devices. And, um, that's training us and deforming us to not have honest and real conversations. Well, that was one of the things I got from the book right away, too, is that as a pastor, it's really easy for us to say, like, you need to be in relationships, you need to be in community, you need a place to belong and imagine the church is. But there's actually a, a whole generation, a whole community of people who don't know how to go about that, who even if an opportunity for relationship exists, struggle to know how to form a relationship, how to step into a relationship, what it looks like to be a part of a community. Is that right? So good. Yeah. So Basically, the premise of my book is that we recognize that many of us are dealing with loneliness, whether we know it or not. And the invitation and the, most of the book is really about these five practices, really practical uh, through the scriptures and social sciences and human psychology and all to really experience and, and my experiences through pastoral ministry, the invitation to say, what are the actual five practices to help us cultivate and develop this invitation to belong and connect in a meaningful way? And so, yeah, that it's not... um it's it's not enough for pastors and campus pastors or lead pastors to just get up on stage and say, join a community. Everyone is saying, how? How do I forge these meaningful relationships? And I tell you that even just coming into a small group is not enough. 
One of the disconnects you described, there's a really helpful chart you call the false connection cycle. Um, and I, well, reading the book, it, it made me realize a lot of us, we think, particularly pastors, we think we're doing this. We think we're creating opportunities for for connection, for relationship. Uh, we think we're forming communities. But you write in the book, there's actually some some systems or processes we put in place that that don't work, that may actually be keeping that community from forming. What is that false connection cycle that you describe? Yeah, so the first, uh, the false connection cycle is that first we isolate from community, which leads to loneliness. And then what ends up happening is we pursue these false connections that promise belonging and satisfaction. And so some of them may be um, just gaming, Netflix, you name it, um, social media. Um, and when you get into them, you realize that it doesn't really give you the satisfaction that you've been longing for. And so through it all, we feel even a greater sense of anxiety and loneliness from the lack of real intimacy and belonging. And I can tell you for myself, I may share it a little bit. Gaming was a big one for me. I spent a ton of time uh, just online. And uh, man, as a pastor, uh, we don't really talk about this often either. And um, gaming and pornography were my gateways to feel like, man, there's somebody that sees me and knows me and can um, maybe potentially uh, just soothe my pain. Um, and more and more that I got into it, I realized that it did not give me what I was looking for. So I'm more dissatisfied and frustrated in my path of community and belonging. Yeah, that struck me as really true pastorally. I, I I see so many people that that feel like they've made an attempt towards community or belonging. It didn't fulfill what they imagined it was going to, whether the re- it was the relationships or it was conflict they found. And then it leads to this sort of cycle where they begin to isolate even more and, and may to come to believe that they, they don't need community or it's too risky as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, I love the church. We love the church. And so we've created these wonderful systems and processes to help alleviate that and try to do what's best for our people. And so what we normally do is we get up on Sundays and we say, you know, come come to church on Sundays. And you know, that's not enough, but that's what we do. And we say, and if you're lonely or if you need community, join one of our small groups, life groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them. And please give and serve in meaningful ways. Again, these are all beautiful invitation to our discipleship to Jesus. But what we've noticed is that it's not enough because once we get into these small groups, like what are we doing? I mean, we are maybe talking about the scriptures, maybe talking through the the teachings of the previous weekend. Maybe we're talking through some of the uh, books that we're reading together. But at the end of the day, um, are we training our folks in our small groups to really open up and be vulnerable and honest? Are we training them to ask good questions? Are we training them to really have an empathetic uh, a posture as we listen to one another? Are we really doing life together? Or are these mechanisms, these small groups, just a placeholder so that these folks don't leave our church, if we're being honest? I know that's a hard one to confess. Um, and are we truly training our people to forge deep and transformative communities. 
What do you make of the the small group movement? Because most churches are are forming small groups. I think for a lot of pastors, we would probably say that is where community is happening within our congregation. Um, it's it's really easy to sort of raise up small group. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's the way we go about it. We try to get small group leaders, and then we assume those small group leaders and people showing up at small groups are producing community. Um, in the book, you're not hostile to small groups at all. Uh, but you also recognize that perhaps the way we've we've approached small groups isn't isn't doing the thing that we imagine or tell ourselves that it's doing. Yeah. So as a discipleship pastor, I oversee small groups, and so I have a deep passion for small groups. Um, I'm just saying that there might be a a better way that we go about it. So, for example, that many of us, we've been trained under these 90s model where maybe this kind of the church growth movement, again, there are a lot of beauties in that. And the multiplication movement, again, a lot of great things in them. But what ended up happening is that the goal is that let's grow our small group. And once we do, let's split so that we can go our separate ways and grow, right? And so what's happening is you're inviting everyone to uh, forge deep friendships and open up and build trust. And I've been doing that, let's say, for three, five, seven years. Now our small group's getting bigger. And all of a sudden, the pastor gets up on stage and says, let's uh, split your group and uh, off you go and forge a new community, And so I'm going now that took me seven years to build that trust. Now, where do I go if I'm struggling with these addictions? Um, I just can't just go to someone and begin to open up. I don't know if they're trustworthy. I don't know if they will listen. I don't even know if they will gossip and share about my stuff. And so uh, what's happening is that we have the right heart. I do not doubt our pastor's invitation to grow these small groups, but perhaps the growth that we're really looking for is maybe depth, um, real intimacy and belonging, community and connection. And so the invitation of my book is to say maybe there's a better way to go about it than just splitting your group. Yeah, I think we've set up really well sort of the the, the need, uh, recognizing people struggle with the social skills to build relationships, recognizing that our small group models may have an, an easy entry point, but not always the practices to produce that depth. Uh, you begin to sort of outline, uh, lay out a, a path for developing those deeper relationships through these five practices, these sort of five intentional practices that people can begin to do to form those relationships. Uh, maybe you could take a second to uh, list out those five and then describe a little bit where those five came from. Yeah, so... The five are priority, chemistry, vulnerability, empathy, and accountability. And so I'll start with priority. And we are in a non-committal culture as a whole. And so uh, the invitation is to first say, man, like I see you, I, I believe in this community, or I'm checking out this community. The f- first invitation is that if we do not intentionally prioritize relationships, our life will prioritize us. And there are so many competing invitations in this world. And so I read a book um, while I was doing a research on this topic. And the book is called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And in that 
uh, Bronnie Ware's shares that um, as she's been processing with folks who are in the kind of the final nine months of their lives, many of the top regrets were that they wish they invested in their friendships, that they are dying alone. And so I see that in myself. I'm busy with ministry, church, and family, life, and my own work. And and I have to pause and say, am I intentionally building community or am I just doing what I can? And so it's the first practice in which all, all others follow. So priority is the first one. And chemistry, uh, this is the one where the Christians might say, "I wait a minute, that doesn't sound Christian. We are called to love all. And I talk about the difference between click, like the folks that we click with, folks that we share shared values and interests versus click, uh, which is like just kind of this inward, uh, our own uh, inclusive group. And the invitation is to say there is a way to love all and still build deep friendships. And I, I see Jesus doing this really well. He had the 12 and in the most important times of his own kind of personal uh, turmoil and life and and places where he needed the most amount of help. Uh, he invited the three to really weigh in and walk alongside him. And and I thought about this, like, what were the nine doing during that time? And 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 would you say that Jesus was showing uh, uh favoritism that he was committing a sin of favoritism and i believe he wasn't and we know that for sure and 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 there's a way in which that jesus was able to still lean into his trusted friends and still care for the 12 and show love for all and i think that's something that hindered me from deep uh building deep relationships as a pastor especially like i gotta make sure that i'm giving equal time for everyone right and so in that process uh the folks that god was highlighting in my life folks that that uh we have some deep soul connections um i shied away from leaning into them because again that i thought that would offend many and i thought that wasn't actually biblical and and um and and i began to see that wait a minute i think we got this chemistry wrong and so priority and chemistry and once we go into that the third movement is vulnerability and as you know as as folks who follow Jesus, we see this uh, all the way from Genesis and um, that we've been hiding uh, since the beginning. And we hide from God and we hide from others. There's a lot of shame and guilt. And as a Korean American Christian male pastor, I mean, I think about those like five identities, like Korean, a lot of shame in our Asian culture. Um that we do not, um, that we do not bring shame into our communities. And so we can't really talk about how we are feeling American. We're highly individualistic society. And so I can do this in my own strength. And so I don't need any help. I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to be vulnerable. They see vulnerability as weakness. Christian, I don't want to, I don't want to be judged. And so I'm going to be careful with my words. And so I'm not going to really share about the sins that, that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with. Um, and so Korean American Christian male vulnerability as a man is seen as weakness and pastor. Oh boy. Like hmm. that comes with all sorts of, um, challenges. And so 
vulnerability is difficult, but the invitation is that if we sit in our small groups over and over again, but we don't really open up, then the question is, do they really know us? And are they really building community? Are, are we forging belonging? Or are we just spending 90 minutes together? Because that's what our church asked us to do. And so vulnerability is the really invitation to go deeper. And then, and then the fourth movement, once we get to priority, chemistry, vulnerability is empathy. Like I've been in situations where I open up and it's not met with empathy. And then what happens to my own soul is that I close up and I can't really uh, trust that person again. And so vulnerability is closely tied and has to be met with empathy, that I see you, that I hear your pain, that I'm with you, instead of trying to correct or teach or just move on from that topic. We've all been in small groups where you, you open up and then all of a sudden they just move on to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, on to the next question. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, hey, like we've got seven questions that our small group leaders asked us to get through. Right. And so uh, vulnerability must be met with empathy. And when we do, um, we feel seen and known and loved. And here's the final movement. Once we get to empathy, then we can finally lean into accountability that the goal of Christian community is Christ-likeness. The goal of why we gather is not just to hang out and it's not just to share our life, which is so important, but to support and challenge one another into all that Christ has invited us to be. If in the order of, Chase, the order of these five movements is so important. If we do accountability first, that's what I call spiritual abuse. Like, you don't even know my name. You don't even know my story. You've never empathized with me. You haven't really shared. We haven't really shared anything. We haven't really opened up. But wait, the Bible says where I see this problem in you and you're just going at it. And accountability often when you do that in the beginning. But you, we haven't even committed our lives to one another. Uh, that's where a spiritual abuse can happen. But if accountability comes at the end, if you've been journeying with me, and now I say, hey, brother, I see this in you. And I want to call this out because I, I, I long for you to become all that Christ is inviting you to be. I believe that's the community that Christ is inviting us to. And that's the prayer and hope for Westgate Church first and foremost. I'm a local pastor and I hope that could be the case for many communities as we are all pastors and leaders trying to do that for our people. Each Sorry, those, that was long, but it was excellent. <laughs> but I, I tried think. to. I think putting them together was wise too, recognizing the the um the the trajectory through these. And my question is in the book you 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 recognize these also have to be practical. These have to be I mean it's easy for things like us to talk about accountability or empathy or vulnerability and they become sort of abstract ideals. But you recognize we have to particularly as pastors, we have to create mm. intentional opportunities for people to step into these where it may be a really risk-filled new sort of uh process for them. How how do you recommend that in the book, and how are you trying to do that as a pastor in a church? How are you trying to create intentional entry points for each of these practices? Yeah, great. Um, so one of the first things that we invite our life groups and life group leaders to do is like, hey, before you get into all this like sermon material again, so great, right? And before you start the book, like just make sure that you know each other's stories, and so. 
just spend the first couple days or first couple weeks sharing your life. And I think that's been really meaningful for us. And we try to remind our life group leaders regularly and in anything that we do, any leadership development, any cohorts that we lead, we start with sharing of our stories because that's where we can see some of the chemistry, some of the vulnerability, some of the empathy piece that uh, that comes alive in that process. And number two is that um, like for each of the practices, I actually have some of the practical movements that you can do to grow in that. And I'm not great at them either. And so these are things that I've learned in my own journey. Some of the things that I've seen in the scripture, some of the things that I've been passed down through pastoral wisdom and just friends. And so even like for um, like chemistry piece, like, I don't know, I just say something like try new things with your group to see. Um, whether that uh, that may be something that you may share some interest or not. How would you know if you don't try new things? And so there's like just like quick, fun, easy ways in which, I mean, these aren't some like heavy spiritual practices um, where, I mean, there are a few that are a little bit difficult, but but there are quick, easy places where you can try them and see if it works for you or not. And so I try to do that uh, in the book. Yeah, I think that's, uh, it comes to really clear. And I think it's, I think you make the point well that these are both ideals we're aiming at, but they're also intentional effort steps that we have to put in. Uh, this kind of community is not going to exist simply because we spin up a program or sign, <laughs> sign a sheet to join something. It takes each of us sort of being more and more intentional, particularly in the time we live in, being more and more intentional about how we're doing these five things to cultivate that kind of community and relationship. Yeah, totally. So like, for example, in vulnerability, one of the first things, uh, one of the first kind of uh, practical advice that I give is uh, develop a right view of God. That's something that you can just do uh, by yourself. And that's, uh, I grew up in a traditional uh, conservative, again, I love it. And I, I'm so grateful for my upbringing, uh, church, but in that process, I developed somehow uh, this real incredible scary image of God and that at any moment that God's just gonna strike me dead and so vulnerability was super hard for me because if I open up <laughs> and and the silly thing is that God already knows right and sees but if I say them in prayer or to someone else in in church God may uh, be incredibly disappointed in me and um he would remove his presence and favor and that he would walk away from my life. And so um, that really prevented me from being vulnerable with God and with one another. And so developing a right view of God totally changed the way in which that I'm able to lead into vulnerability. And so these are like simple, practical movements that you can do alone with your community to grow and exercise these muscles uh, and these practices. You mentioned earlier, part of what can complicate this for you and I too, is even the pastoral responsibility. A, a lot of listeners are pastors. Uh, I think one of the dangers, I think it's probably true as writers as well too. There's nobody that isolates like a writer. So much of that work's done alone. But as a pastor, it's really easy to turn community into something that you do vocationally. It's really easy to give a lot of thought and attention to how other people are forming and fitting into the church's communities, but to really not be paying much attention to your own belonging, your own place in community. Um, how have you experienced that as, as a pastor? And do you have some advice specifically for pastors who may be feeling really isolated and alone? 
yeah, I see you and I hear you. That's been my journey. And and I totally recognize that uh, as I was writing my book on belonging and community, I spent so much time alone <laughs> writing it for like two years. And so, uh, um, and I would say this, um, my friend who owns a, uh, who kind of oversees a pastoral like job search uh uh, site he said that sunday nights and monday mornings are where he gets the greatest amount of hits and i've wondered about that and we mm-hmm. talked that through and we can't help but to wonder if one of the thing is, is like man we are building community I and mean, that's like our job we we're building a family and um on sundays we are with so many folks but when we come home, we feel this deep sense of loneliness and isolation. Like our job is to help people be seen. But the question is, are we also being seen? Because at the end of the day, before we are pastors, leaders, small group mentors, we are humans, right? We are children of God. And the question is, are we forging a community where they see us and they know us by name, not by title, but by our name. And so that's been something that I've been intentionally forming. And so I have my own uh, men's group on Tuesday nights. And that's where I take off my pastor hat. Of course, certainly there are places in which I talk about work. It's, we are, it's, it's a deeply integrated piece, uh, but they don't really address or see me first and foremost as a, Pastor David Kim or author David Kim, uh, they see me as David and they lean into my life. And so the invitation is, if that's not something that you have, it's I would I would encourage you to find that in your own community or sometimes find that outside in a pastor's uh, cohort of some sort or or um, friends that you've maybe been journeying along and say, hey, like, can we meet every other week and grab coffee together? And I would love to share life. And I think that's critical for us. And um, hmm, yes, I think I will say this. The reason why um, our church communities, one of the reasons, actually, let me say that. One of the reasons why our communities might be shallow is that we ourselves are are the leaders that we don't actually have community and we don't know what it means to build community. And so it's a self indictment. Uh, That's something that I've learned and journeyed through. And so as we deepen our own belonging journey, I believe that that would breathe into the communities that we are leading and deepen everyone else's belonging journey as well. So pastors and leaders, this is not a condemnation or 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 calling you out say hey shame on you. It's been my own journey and I hope that and I know that's your prayers that we are all trying to do this together and do it well and serve our people well and so yeah, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah, it strikes me. It strikes me as very much true. It's um the ministry is one of those occupations that you as public as it is is very easy to use to hide. And it's really easy to use uh, small groups or the the programs of community to actually avoid community yourself, sort of outsourcing that so that you don't have to. And so I think it's I think it's a really wise perception to say that as pastors, 
part of our responsibility is to lead when it comes to belonging, to lead when it comes to these practices. If if not in us, then how can we expect it in the congregation that we pastor? Um, one of the things you do towards the end of the book that I also thought was really helpful, and part of what makes the book just kind of from beginning to end so interesting too, is your own experience coming from a, a Korean culture. And you recommend that there's actually things we learn from other cultures to identify. I think it's actually should be one of the great gifts of the church is uh, we can see and be corrected. We can be held accountable by cultures other than our own from other places that have their own strengths and weaknesses, but help us identify ours. Um, how is your sort of experience in Korean culture helped you better understand community and belonging and, and maybe a challenge to us here as you've made that transition into the U.S. as well? Yeah, <clears throat> I talk about my book. We all know of uh, Maslow's hierarchy and obviously we think through uh, our physiological needs, food, water and and shelter and so forth. And then belonging is kind of in the mid tier um, but for um, for the immigrant communities, particularly, and I would say all immigrant communities, and especially for my own journey, Korean American communities, as we came to the uh, states, um, we came with nothing, and so the way in which we actually got food and shelter and resources is through community, and so for us, belonging matters more than food because. And, and we, I would actually say we would flip that and say through community, we find all that we're supposed to find. Um, and so it's a critical place for us. And, and as we forge and build communities, one of the first things that we do is that I, sh- I share in my book that, that we build this thing called a fellowship hall. We call them cafeterias. And, and as anyone that's kind of a church planner or building a church, uh, you build the worship center, children's and youth, and a cafeteria. And and what we do is that after every service, we eat together. And I know that sounds crazy, but I've been in uh, two, uh, three actually Korean American mega churches, and and um, after each service, um, they are feeding like thousands. And it sounds crazy, but that's the, that's one of the kind of the core missions of the church. And so what ends up happening is that if you're a newcomer, right? And so you come into this church where it's, you're sitting around 50, 100, 500,000. It doesn't matter because after 10, it's still a large church for you because you don't know anyone. But after that, if there's a meal that's being shared, then all you got to do is and say, hey, like you seem like new. We're going we're just going to walk over to the next room and we're going to eat together. We'd love to know and hear your story and grab this food together. And that's been a wonderful gift to the church. And so um, that's like just one simple way. And there are many ways to do that. And I, I think, Chase, you said you, you found ways to do that in your own church community as well. Yeah, we actually, we I pastor in a little different context, partly because of size. Our church is 100, 120 people. And so, yeah, we've tried to be really intentional about it. We do a lot of box lunches together. We do, um, one of the things that's been really helpful to us is every Christmas we do a series called God With Us in which uh, a different person from the congregation speaks each week. And uh, I give them the very open-ended, share part of your story, share how God's proven himself to be with you. 
And I, man, that's has become one of the, the, the main building blocks of our church, because I was even thinking earlier about your five practices. It, it's an intentional act. I'm always amazed at how it solidifies people's stories for themselves as they're sort of bearing witness to it. Uh, but it also, you know, it helps people get to know each other. It helps people find that chemistry. You know, they learn, oh, he loves baseball or, you know, they used to ride horse, show horses. Uh, but then it also it practices that vulnerability and empathy in the congregation, too. So just finding I think you're right to suggest it's more than just small groups. It's how do we and I love the way you said that, too. How does everything we do, everything we need flow through community yeah. so that community becomes really the, the the center work of how the church is doing its work? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a, um, you know, kind of that Gordon Conwell, the reformed uh, Tim Keller tradition and what a wonderful gift it is. And and uh, maybe some of the things that I've interpreted or misinterpreted in that uh, tradition is that like anything that sounds like a uh, fun social event in the church, <laughs> I would say that's not Christian. That's not spiritual. We are here to read the Bible, pray and worship our Jesus. Again, nothing wrong with that. But somehow in that place, I begin to neglect these like social spaces where we just have fun together. And, um, but we don't really, uh, maybe see as pastors, that's not really of a value, but more and more that I've been building community, I realize that it is because that's where you are as we laugh together, as we enjoy one another's presence. You are able to see, and these are easy on-ramps for new folks, easy on-ramps for folks who are afraid of vulnerability, easy on-ramps for folks who are not ready yet to go deeper, uh, to just come and check us out and, and enjoy one another's presence. And in that, maybe God may be highlighting one, two, or three folks that you may journey with. And so, yeah, we try to be intentional about all these small and big on-ramps to point folks to greater connection and community. And we have found that social space has been incredibly helpful for our community. Well, again, the book we're talking about, Made to Belong, Five Practices of Cultivating Community in a Disconnected World. If I could give it a little plug, I would say pastors, pick it up and read it, but buy copies for your staff, read it together, think through how you can be more intentional about creating these practices. I think it would be a great book for small groups, people within the church to read and ask personally how they're making these commitments. And uh, I certainly don't think, I hope it's not the last work from David, uh, a great writer, a great thinker. I think there's probably a lot more to come. David, if people want to keep up with the work you're doing, uh, pick up the book, but also be able to keep up with writings in the future. What's the best way for people just to keep in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, my website, Instagram account is uh, David and my Korean name, J-A-N-G-H-Y-U-N. Kim, so uh, Chang Hyun Kim, so David Chang Hyun Kim uh, dot com, or that's my Instagram handle, and would love to just learn together. If you are a pastor leading communities, love to just share ideas together and brainstorm together. How do we continue to forge deeper communities uh, that God has invited us to shepherd and care for? And so, love to be part of that process. And thanks for having me, Chase. Yeah, it's an honor to do it. I'll have those links in the show notes for people can find it as well as the book Made to Belong. And uh, we'll just continue to be praying blessing over you and the work you guys are doing there in Silicon Valley. And uh, looking forward to talking again and more work to come. Strength to you as well. Thanks.
As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com. I've got a link there to uh, David's website as well as information about the book if you're interested. And you might also take the time to subscribe. I've got some great conversations coming up in the weeks ahead. A couple of those I've already recorded and I'm looking forward to releasing. As well as uh, if you're somewhere subscribing, maybe take a second to leave a review. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts, either by leaving one of the star reviews or taking a moment to type out a brief message, what you like, what you'd like to see more of in the future. I always like getting that feedback. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.